Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. She said, no, I'm ordering you to release the name. And he stood up and he said the name Sean Hannity. Uh, and there was obviously a lot of reaction. Hi, this is Josh Marshall and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We have a special episode today. We are going to give you a primer, all the information you need to understand. Who is this guy, Michael Cohen? Where is he from? Why did he become a big player in Trump's world? And why is President Trump so petrified now of, what, of, of, of the fact that, that Michael Cohen is knee-deep in what seems to be a very serious federal criminal investigation. But before we get to that, we want to tell you about a few words from our sponsor. Isn't that, isn't that right, David? We Absolutely. Have, let's yeah, hear. well, it's, let's see. Okay. So, calling all cold brew fans, spring has finally sprung. Well, first of all, okay, this is like almost like <laughs> a lie. Uh, yeah, this is like this is we like had a brief taste. Taste We had two days of spring, but let's just go with it. Spring has finally sprung, so it's time to switch from hot coffee to Grady's cold brew. This is saying I I I don't even know. Why There's people, no switch. It's well, yeah. I, I I I have no time for people who drink hot hot coffee. But again, <laughs> let's get back to this. So it's time to switch from hot coffee to Grady's cold brew, the most refreshing pick me up around. Our famous mm. blend uses a hundred percent arabica beans from Indonesia and Ethiopia, with just a hint of French hickory for the smoothest, richest, most indulgent iced coffee experience, all delivered directly to your door at a fraction of what it costs from the coffee shop. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. So, David Tanner, you were you were, you were were uh, on vacation for a few days. I was just in Mexico back. City, had some Welcome good Mexican back. coffee. Thank you. And we also have Allegra Kirkland, who's who's joining us today for this episode, who, who's on the Michael Cohen beat. So, uh, hey, welcome. Hey, all Happy to be here. You were actually in the courthouse Friday, uh, last Friday and yesterday, kind of watching all this stuff. And especially yesterday when the big Hannity moment. So, give us, just before we get started, give us a sense of that. What was that like? So, basically... Cohen's lawyers have sort of had sort of made the case that they didn't need to reveal the identity of this third client. So so he's had between 2017 and 2018 three clients. One is Donald Trump, one is Elliot Broidy, who was was until recently the deputy finance director of the Republican National uh, Committee. And the third one, they were like, we don't want to name him. This guy's requested anonymity. We, you know, we want to respect that attorney client privilege, et cetera. And, you know, the government's lawyers and the judge were kind of like just this guy's name is not protected. You know, that's not privileged information. Give me a really good reason why he gets special treatment. And, you know, another important person in this, how this played out was a lawyer for the media who basically also argued this is totally in the public domain. There's no real reason why this should be. Was he, know. did he represent like a certain news organization or just yeah, a group? Or? He, he represented, you know, ABC, New York Times, like a, a Associated Press, I think, a couple like a organizations. a consortium of news yeah. organizations, yep. right. Okay. So, he, and you know, you can sort of see the judge 
being persuaded by everyone else's arguments. And Cohen's lawyers are sort of getting into some crazy places, like saying, like, I think this is really going to, you know, threaten people's ability to seek legal counsel and, like, you know, just... You said people laughed at that moment, Yeah, I mean, come on, dude. No. (laughs) So then eventually, you know, the judge is just like, no, I want you to disclose the name now. And and Cohen's lawyer is like, because he'd offered before, I can put it in an envelope and give it just to you and you can read it and I'll give it to the court. And she was like... He was like, do you want me to read it? You know, do you want me to put an envelope? She's like, just say it. And then he, <laughs> the guy stands up and he's like, the client that is – Stephen Ryan, Cohen's lawyer, the client that is involved in this is Sean Hannity. And everyone's just like, ah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so, you know, a bunch of reporters ran out to go, you know, deliver the news to their editors and producers uh, downstairs. Everyone just sort of like gasped. Right, because um, you can't have you can't you have your cell phone in the federal courtroom. Is that right? So you know, like actual court reporters who you know the in-house people who are there all the time, they can have phones and mm. computers. But you know, if you're just there for one hearing or something, then you got to turn it all over. I was explaining to someone last night that this is the advantage of having a a a bigger news organization with lots of reporters that mm-hmm. if you have like three people, you mm-hmm. can send one can person, all right, send that one yeah. person out because we got big news. We got to, we got to sure. go outside. Yeah. But if you got one person, you're in there for the, you're in there for the long haul. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so that happened yesterday <laughs> and, and I, you know, everybody is still trying to uh, figure out, you know, what, what kind of legal work or legal advice or legal, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. was, uh, Michael Cohen doing for Sean Hannity, and I, I think you know, going on 18 hours later, we still don't have any clear idea. I mean, Hannity's clearly trying to minimize it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he's like, he was not even really my lawyer in any real sense, except I totally want my privilege protected, and you can never know what we discussed. So, <laughs> so I did say he might have like slipped him a ten a ten spot. Well, yeah, just that's right? what legal <laughs> advice costs these like days. You know? <laughs> like what? what yeah, it makes it like 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 you're like buying a dime bag. <laughs> like like it, the way he talks about it, even I know, it's, yeah. it's it's so weird. So anyway, okay, this is there is so many so much weird stuff that uh, Michael Cohen has been involved in. It's going to be a challenge for us to pack it into one episode, but we know everybody's really interested, so that's what we're going to try to do right now. So we're going to we're going to move through this, and we're going to kind of talk about some of the some of the key angles. So the key, the key is Michael Cohen is born uh, on Long Island, Long Island, you know, kind of suburban New York, but he and he is you know he's born here, a native-born American citizen, you know, doesn't speak with an accent, blah 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 blah. But he grew up in the Russian-Ukrainian emigre community uh, in New York City. And that is really key to understanding everything about him. One of the things that we found out last year is that he was actually a childhood friend of Felix Sater, who obviously is another big guy in the Trump orbit. Everybody, you know, everybody's heard all the different stories about him and so forth. And so he grew up in that milieu. One of the things that we we found out early on about Michael Cohen is just just a small little tidbit that gives us some sense of how a lot of these connections may have started is that his uncle, Michael Cohen's uncle, was a guy named Morton Levine and owned a social club called El Caribe, um, I guess out in Brooklyn. 
And Which neighborhood is this in? Is this Brighton Beach? Do you know? It's where? around yeah. in that kind of area. I don't know precisely where uh, where where this was, but yeah, all of this is kind of you know uh, kind of in that in that in that area. And in the 80s and 90s, according to an article that was published uh, a while back in, in the New York Times, this social club was a fairly notorious hang- hangout for the Italian and Russian mafias. Now, we got to be uh, careful to say, Morton Levine was never convicted of a crime, but, you know, his uncle ran basically what was reputed to be a mob hangout. Okay, so Italian mafia, also the Russian mafia. Now, Felix Sater, his father is, according to a number of court filings, was a capo in the biggest Russian organized crime syndicate. Okay. So he's also been, you know, kind of convicted of some crimes and stuff like this. Yeah. So maybe this is how they got to know each other, like in high school or something like that. Because again, they don't, they didn't seem to be from like exactly the same uh, hometowns. They're from towns that are may only be ten or fifteen miles apart, but mm-hmm. sort of uh, socially and culturally are are you know uh, pretty separate. Yeah, many, many, many miles apart. So okay. So Michael Cohen marries into a Ukrainian immigrant family. His wife is a Ukrainian immigrant, his 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 in-laws, etc. His brother also marries a a woman who's Ukrainian immigrant, etc., etc., etc. So again, part of that part of that milieu. Now, one of the things that we've talked about a lot on on TPM and something that you've probably seen a lot of in the news recently is that Cohen has for many years been a big player in the New York City taxi industry. Now, how did he get into the taxi business? He got into the taxi business because of his father-in-law, who is a guy named Fima uh, Schusterman, who was, uh, had been in the, in the taxi business uh, years before, you know, many years before uh, Michael Cohen got into it, and also has his own financial crimes convictions. And, and I, I believe he's got one conviction in the U.S. and another sort of uh, money laundering type conviction in, in in the Ukraine. So there's a lot of different, a lot of different stuff going on here. So okay, this brings us up into the 1990s when Cohen is in his 30s, or I guess early early 30s. By this time, Cohen is has become a a major player in the New York City taxi business, and he is involved with two guys who were becoming then and would sub- and would continue to be major kingpins in the again New York City taxi business one of those guys who he who Cohen co-owned a business with is a guy named Simon Garber um, another is a guy named Yevgeny Friedman who goes by Gene Friedman these guys again are big time players in the New York City taxi cab business and just to I know there's a lot of information here but just hang with us how this works is in most big cities and in, in New York City it's a regulated industry and to to ride a cab you need a cab medallion and so there's a finite number of medallions so those medallions are very expensive um, when Garber and Cohen had this taxi cab business that was in the late 90s into the first uh, uh, years of the aughts, I believe what we know is that that taxi cab business had a fleet of approximately 200 
cabs. Now, okay, there was a run-up in the value of medallions that, uh, you know, five, six, seven years ago, they were up to like a million dollars a piece. I remember that. Yeah, Yeah, but even But even back then, and subsequently crashed, but even back then, these things are worth a few hundred dollars each. So when you have a fleet of, of 200 taxi cabs, you're talking about at least something that is in the tens of millions of dollars in, in, in value. So this is not like a few guys sitting in a corner in a, like a dispatch office or something like that. This is big business and lots and lots of and money. And he also had some uh, cabs in Chicago as well, I believe, right? He owned... Right. Well, not, well exactly. Or sorry, we're going to no, no, go no, into no. that well, after. Well, it's, it, no, it's just that it's, it's, so, it's all so convoluted that it's hard to keep, keep up with. Mm-hmm. We've known for a long time that Garber... Uh, ha, uh, owned or owns a big fleet of cabs in Chicago, another in New Orleans, and he owned a big one in Moscow. But somehow or another, about 10 or 15 years ago, he got booted out of Moscow. What we have just found out in the last few days is that Cohen also owns a lot of cabs in Chicago. And it, but I guess what was a little unclear from, from the report we're talking about here is does he own a bunch of medallions that he leases like he did to Garber in that one case? So like, give us a, give us a sense of this. I think more reporting has been done on this, but what, I mean, back when I talked to Friedman last year, he told me he managed some medallions for Cohen in Chicago. Like, okay. I didn't, I, I didn't recently. remember that. Okay. So, interesting. But interesting. I, I'm not sure if he had a bigger stake in, in any of um, Garber's companies there. Or anything like that. Yeah. So this is, this is the, it is, it's very hard. It's been very hard to get a handle on, where all the places are that mm-hmm. he's involved in the taxi yeah. business. Because again, remember, there's the there's the cars, mm-hmm. there's running them on a daily basis, and then there's the medallions. And and you know, different people can own all those different things. It's it's really easy to get to get lost in this morass of different information. But here's the thing to understand. The cab business is a very cash intensive business. And over the course of his career, Cohen has been involved in a lot of very cash-intensive businesses that are ones that tend to be magnets for money laundering. Just explain quick, what do you mean by cash-intensive? Well, uh, ones where where you need to bring in large amounts of, of capital. And just have it be liquid to yes. be available. Yes, yeah. high liquidity, mm-hmm. uh, which which for a lot of different reasons makes it, you know, it's like real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, if people want to, and it's important to, to, to recognize there's money laundering and then there's just bringing money into the United States. People want to invest money in the United States. It's a stable economy. You have rule of law, or at least for the moment we do. Um, so that doesn't, but that's not, that's not illegal, right? People do that all the time, mm-hmm. but the two things can blend into each other. Sure. And, and, um, certainly from that part of the world, uh, states in the former Soviet Union, there is, there's a lot of money with questionable origins and people want to get it into the U S a, because of the, the stability and rule of law, but also to clean it up and kind of go legit. Mm-hmm. So the point to understand here about kind of who is Michael Cohen is that he has been involved in lots of businesses like this. You have the taxicab business that we're still only, tr- you know, starting to get a sense of, of his involvement. 
heavily involved in the real estate business, which we will get to in a moment, and also involved with things like the casino uh, cruise business, which again, I've been doing this for a long time. Every time we find someone who's involved in casino <laughs> casino gambling cruises, believe me, there's always a scandal that's going to happen. It's a notoriously <laughs> crooked business, even though I'm sure there's like some white shoe, you know, uh, cruise boat casinos out there. Casino yeah, exactly, boats. exactly, exactly. So the the key is that he. Th- this has always been Michael Cohen's kind of 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 business. I was going to say racket, but business. These companies that all seem to be based on lots of very liquid assets coming in from Ukraine, Russia, from immigrants from Ukraine and Russia. It's a very strong pattern. So we have all of these businesses. At the same time, Cohen also has a lot of business interests in Ukraine itself. Mm. Uh, his his brother's father-in-law was a guy named Alex Oronov who had all these kind of, all these businesses in Ukraine. Another, another Ukrainian immigrant uh, who became a U.S. citizen after the fall of the Soviet Union has all sorts of business interests back in Ukraine. Uh, Michael Cohen and his brother and Oronov set up like an ethanol business. They've got all these kind of like agricultural businesses, like sending like tractors back to Ukraine, all sorts of different stuff. A lot of things going in, in both directions. But the key that we want to look most closely at is the real estate business. This is the classic, the classic business, if you want to call it a business, where you know bringing money in from overseas. Everyone wants to invest in New York, New York real estate. The prices never seem to go down. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, that's the, you know even during the crash in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, New York, New York City real estate prices. Um, they stopped going up. They went down a little bit, but it was nothing like the rest of the country. Because there was all this foreign money. Coming, well, and, and just there's just demand. People mm-hmm. want to live in. You know, it's it's a combination of it's all these things combined. But it is a great investment at a lot of at a lot of different levels. Here's the key where Michael Cohen gets involved with Donald Trump in the 2005 2006 time frame. Michael Cohen. And his family members. Now, who's really moving the money? Who knows? But we're talking about the nominal people whose names are on the deeds. They start buying up units in lots of Trump buildings, mainly different buildings in the New York City area, but ones in other parts of the country as well. We found at least a dozen that he and his family members buy. And just to give you a sense, these units are like half a million, million dollars at least each one. So th- there's a lot of money involved here. Co- uh, uh, Trump sort of gets wind of there's this new guy, you know, on the scene, and Trump sees that he is a conduit for lots of money coming from that part of the world. Now, it's clear that Trump's reliance on money from the former Soviet Union starts a at least a couple years before this, in the first in the first years of 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 this century, but it's all kind of around the same time. That's you know a little earlier in the decade is when he first hooks up with Felix Sater. But anyway, the key point here is the way that Michael Cohen comes into Trump's orbit is not as a new young hotshot lawyer 
that Donald Trump needs to hire. He is someone who is a conduit for money from Ukraine and from various countries in the Soviet Union. He wants to pull him in and get access to those streams of money. That is the connection. That's how it starts. And again, that is about a dozen years ago. So Allegra, give us a sense of what are some of the the real estate dealings and stuff and 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 tell us more about that relationship. One thing we came across is this 2007 New York Post article that basically said, you know, it's like once you go Trump, you never go back and it's a real <laughs> estate story and God knows that's true. Um it's a real estate, you know, story about and Cohen's quoted as, yeah, I've I've bought these Trump properties and they're great and my in-laws are buying them and they're fantastic and Trump's such a great landlord and these buildings are so, you know, well-maintained and everything. And Cohen also told uh, TPM last year that he, that, that basically, yeah, that's how he became acquainted with the Trump family. They sort of took notice that he was buying up all these properties. And I guess Trump Jr. himself um, helped Cohen consolidate. He was buying multiple units in one building and he helped sort of figure out that deal for him. So he was, you know, he was on like a first name basis with these people by this point, by the mid 2000s. And that same year, 2007, officially, I believe, is when he came on to the Trump organization as executive vice president and senior counsel to Trump himself. So as close as you can get to, you know, the top guy. So Allegra, this might be like a dumb question, but is Michael Cohen buying these properties for his family to live in? Or are they, is he buying them as investments to rent out to other people or just sit on them? Like, what is this? What does that sort of look like? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, his main residence is in a Trump building, I know, on like Park Avenue, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Um, and I think his his in-laws do live in them as well. But I, th- I mean, there's no way they're living in like 10 of these yeah, buildings. Exactly. <laughs> right. I think that, that part is what, Alleg- as Allegra says, it they they the individual people do seem to live in Trump buildings. But you're clearly talking about more units than anybody can possibly live yeah, in. Right. So and it's a little... It's also a little fuzzy whether, you know, this relative's purchase is really Cohen or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a a mix. Yeah, and obviously in New York, it's not uncommon for investors to buy a place and and for them to sit empty. A lot of the big luxury buildings are Or to rent out. Yeah, yeah, that is not not uncommon at all. We do know also that there were other properties. I'm I'm not sure if they were all Trump buildings. I don't believe they were, but that he bought and then flipped for... uh, significant profit in a very short amount of time, which is also an eyebrow raising sort of yes, business there, transaction. There is one one big one that, we, that we've known about for a while is that in 2015, Cohen bought a, a building on the Upper East Side for $58 million and change, you know, just to be exact. <laughs> um, and that and the backstory between there, there was like a handful of other buildings that he had bought and sold over the last, you know, the, 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 previous years and so that that flipped and then bought that building and so on and so forth the key it's easy to get lost in the details of all these flipping and all this kind of stuff the key is again michael cohen is someone who is a conduit for lots and lots of money that all seems to originate in that part of the world. And that is the basis of his relationship with Donald Trump. As Allegra was just saying, in 2007, he comes in and becomes executive vice president and senior uber legal counsel to the Trump organization and stuff like that. But I think the real key to understand here and and helps us make sense of the news that is unfolding today is that in no substantial sense 
has Michael Cohen ever been Donald Trump's lawyer in the sense that most of us understand the term? He's a deal maker. He and and again, that's that's kind of the business that that Donald Trump is in, kind of making deals on buildings and stuff like that. But there are other people who are the you know Donald Trump's actual lawyers. That is not what Michael Cohen does. When when we first started seeing Michael Cohen on TV during the the 2006 campaign, you know that famous says who thing he got into with Brianna Keeler. I guess, in, in the fall of 2016 or whatever. And then he shows up in a few other places, like, you know, arguing with reporters and threatening them and stuff. So when I first, when I, when he first got onto my radar, I was like, all right, this is kind of like President Trump's, like, punk lawyer who, like, you know, threatens people and stuff like that. Um, like, okay, that makes sense. I would expect Donald Trump to have a guy like that. What I didn't realize at the time is, again, this is a very, very wealthy person in his own right. So we just talked about that Donald Trump brings him in because he wants access to this conduit of money. Now, why does what, – what is – you know, what's Michael Cohen's angle? One thing that has always been a little fuzzy to me is if you are – you know, wherever he's getting the money from, if you are a really rich guy – worth tens of millions of dollars do you really want to be like take a job where you're on the phone like yelling at some reporter from the daily beast and saying you're gonna like i mean i think he i think he enjoys it i think this is something that he and trump have in common they they're both they like the fight they like getting into it with people and and i think that that's part of the reason they've had this long and fruitful relationship is they just get along you know like cohen was happy to work for him i think well and i think and tell me more about this like but it 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 really does seem that for all the other nonsense and talk and all that kind of stuff, Michael Cohen like worships Donald Trump. And that is like, that is something that transcends the money or anything else. Like he just, you know, kind of this like, he's part of the Donald Trump cult. I think this was just last week after, you know, after we found out Cohen is under criminal investigation. He he said, which I think is interesting because of the language he used. He said, you know, I basically like I would jump off a bridge before turning on Trump. Jump out a window. Jump out a window. Jump out a window. Apologies. Which, which, but, yeah. but what Same do you difference. what do you have to turn on him for unless there's uh, some damaging stuff that you have? You know, right. it's like it's, we've talked about like Trump. You either. Are, are dominant or you are dominated. And yep. it seems like Cohen is maybe that in that same yep. sort of frame well, of I mind. Think, and, and I think for, for him, he, you know, being dominated by Trump, being sort of like Trump's guy and everything, you know, he is a, a planet that revolves around Trump's son. That is, that is something that he craves. And in turn, he dominates other people and it like, seems like you know that relationship from the daily beast <laughs> right. <stuff> like <laughs> i mean the relationship has been lucrative for michael cohen right, right. i mean that you can't I, I feel like money is always sort of at the source of these things and mm-hmm. if he's getting cash and doing well for himself like it's he probably thinks it's in his interest to continue that right and tremendous access to power i mean the man's now president of the united states so well that so that is the other point my assumption is here is that even though uh cohen had access to this, you know, this river of money coming from that part of the world that hooking up with Donald Trump, you know, took him sort of out of the little Odessa world out in the outer boroughs and brought him kind of to the big time. Midtown Manhattan. Yeah. Access to bigger amounts of money, more visibility. So clearly there, there's, there are, um, 
there are advantages that go in both directions. Okay, so let's let's fast forward to 2016, 17 into today. A couple things that um, th- that are relevant for the legal proceedings and and the Mueller probe and all these things that are happening now. In 2015, I mean, Michael Cohen had been involved in a million different deals for Trump, and that's kind of, I think, obviously why Trump is worried right now. But one of the things that has come up in the Mueller probe is that in 2015 and early 2016, while Donald Trump was was running for president, he and Felix Sater again were trying to do some deal for a Trump Tower. For the third time. Yeah, for the third. So <laughs> tell us... Give, Remind us what are the different the different times this is this uh, you know this Moby Dick for uh, for Donald Trump has has happened. So there's okay. So there's that one. There's the 2013 yeah I era mean, with the Agalarovs. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. So is there a th- what, do we I, know? I know the it like it, it pre it, you know it's back when like Russia was still a right, communist so, country that right. they started getting interested. Right. Well, there was a thing where one. like in the 80s mm-hmm. he was actually invited to Moscow. Uh, so that's the third. So there's been. Yeah, I don't know if the date's exactly on me, but there were there were three separate incidents. We did a story on it. I'm just yeah. right, right. Okay, so th- th- those are happening. And then another thing, and this is, I think this Allegra is is when Cohen went from you know purely a comic relief character for us here at TPM to be like, wow, okay, maybe he's like, m- maybe this is more serious thing. He shows up in early, just after. President Trump is inaugurated. He sits down with uh, Felix Sater and a pro-Russian Ukrainian uh, parliamentarian in New York, actually at the Lowe's, which is where he was holding court a few days ago. With it's all where his, he's living while his apartment is he, being renovated, yeah, right? Yeah, and even that is sort of like, <laughs> what? Yeah. You know, you, if you, especially if you own like 20 <laughs> yeah, apartments. Right. Like, who knows? You don't knows, have another spot? Yeah. So they have this meeting for a peace plan for Ukraine, supposedly. Uh, this guy, the the Ukrainian, pro-Russian Ukrainian parliamentarian, whose name I think is Artemenko, um, gives Michael Cohen a sealed packet of documents to hand deliver to Mike Flynn, who is is midway through his three-week <laughs> tenure as national security <laughs> advisor. And he does deliver it. He later denies he delivers it, but he takes it down to Washington and gives this thing to Mike Flynn. Now, it's if you read the reports at the time, um, they say it's a peace plan, but they also say it includes like damaging information about the current uh, current president or prime minister of Ukraine at the time. So you see this and you're like, all right, this guy, you know, this this is the collusion stuff we're kind of looking for, basically. And th- so th- this happens. Never been a, a a terribly good explanation of of what that's about. So when you when you think about why is President Trump worried about maybe you know the the federal investigators having access to like every you know everything from from Michael Cohen. He's involved in all the money deals. Donald Trump does not put a lot of uh, put a lot of emphasis on following the law, so that's a problem. 
he is also clearly involved at multiple points in the whatever was going on with with Russia during the during the 2016 campaign. And then the the, the final thing, and this this is what kind of brings it all together, is if there's collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign in the two in 2016, it must grow out of this money channel, money that comes from the former Soviet Union into Donald Trump's various properties. That goes back to the early years of of this century. You've got that Trump Russia money channel. If there's collusion in 2016. The relationships, the money grows out of there. And Michael Cohen touches all of it. The final thing is, again, I think Trump, Michael Cohen's value to Trump is that he is a nominal lawyer. So that allows him to say, like, oh, hey, he's my lawyer. You know, this is all confidential and everything. But Lawyer-client relationships are very specific. They have to do with legal advice. They have to do with representation. If you are doing a, you know, a building deal and talking about business or talking about politics, that's not covered. So when you are just kind of Donald Trump, you know, pre-president Donald Trump doing business here in New York and everywhere else, you can kind of say, hey, can't talk about that. I'm his lawyer. When you get into a serious criminal investigation, you have people who actually understand what the lawyer-client relationship and, and privilege is, and it just doesn't apply to a lot of this stuff. So that is why he, uh, Trump is rightly so worried. Now, this brings us up to this, the events of the last week that Allegra has been covering. Tell us about that. Bring us up to date on all that stuff, Allegra. Sure. So on Monday evening of last week, we found out that uh, there had been this raid on Cohen's apartment, one of them, (laughs) um, his hotel room and his office. And federal agents seized, uh, you know, they got search warrants from a judge, a magistrate judge who, you know, determined there was probable cause that Cohen had committed a crime. And they seized, I think, 10 boxes of documents, hard drives, cell phones, just like the contents of a safety deposit box, like really just went all out. Um, and, you know, Cohen, both Cohen and Trump immediately reacted. You know, Cohen th- said, you know, this was totally, or maybe through his lawyer said this was, you know, total overreach. They didn't need to do it this way. They could have, you know, given us subpoenas. Trump, in typical Trumpian fashion, says, you know, they broke into my lawyer's office. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like, a mafia, like a mafia war started or something like that. Yeah. So then, and then, you know, this was all a huge deal. Everyone was sort of reeling um, because this this hit way closer to home than, you know, the Russia stuff has always been interesting and involved Trump, but a little bit more of a remove. This is like in his backyard. So, but we didn't really know that much. A lot of holes were still sort of waiting to be filled. And then on late Thursday night, you know, the district court sent out this notice, you know, there's a hearing tomorrow morning related to the search warrants, uh, you know, for Michael Cohen. So a bunch of reporters show up. It wasn't packed, but, you know, luckily we'd gotten this notice and, and we showed up too. Um, and basically we find out um, Cohen's attorneys think that a lot of the material seized falls under attorney-client privilege. And they're basically saying we don't want – what typically happens is that, you know, a DOJ team of prosecutors unrelated to the investigators, just like a separate group of people, will go through the material and filter out all the stuff that's covered by privilege. 
And Cohen's lawyers are saying, no, that's not appropriate. We want, you know, we want to do it first. We want to make sure we don't trust basically the government to to not, you know, to do this fairly. Or we want like a what's called a special master, which is a, you know, independent party altogether uh, to, to do this, to do the review. Me- while I'm in court and, you know, they kept they called multiple recesses uh, because Cohen's attorneys sort of couldn't answer the judge's questions about how many clients he had, how much of the material they thought was privileged. And while we're in court, basically the other documents that had been under seal go up and we learn that Michael Cohen has been under criminal investigation for months by a federal grand jury, um, basically for crimes or for potential crimes related to his personal and uh, personal business dealings and financial sort of situation. So um, that's a huge deal. <laughs> and now, wasn't one wasn't one of the the surprises in in the Friday hearing? Everybody knew it was going to be uh, the government, the, mm-hmm. the U.S. Attorney's Office in southern in in Manhattan, and Michael Cohen's lawyers. But then suddenly, there's lawyers for someone else who show up. Yes, yes. So, so tell there us was about that. there was a lot of you know talk at the beginning about this other privilege holder, and they had an interest in the case, and they also wanted to say something. No one really knew what who this person was. All of a sudden, this woman gets up and goes to the microphone and says, you know, I'm here to represent uh, President Donald Trump. And everyone's like, whoa, OK. <laughs> so which on, which from from one perspective, it makes sense. It makes sense. Sure. But, but the fact that he's willing to say, it's, like, it's the first time. We've, himself yeah, it's that we've really right. seen like Trump's lawyers in public sort of arguing on his behalf in a criminal matter, you know. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, it was a little jarring. And. Trump's team is basically saying he, as the privilege holder, is the only person who can actually look through all these documents, all the ones that relate to his relationship with Cohen specifically, and that he should get first pass. Um, and that was a lot was what discussed of what was discussed at Monday's hearing yesterday. So tell us, tell us, Monday, because there are a number of things that came out, especially uh, Trump's lawyers and Cohen's lawyers had a kind of a different flavor of the argument, mm-hmm. but they had a. A, a kind of troubling argument about mm-hmm. about how much the the Department of Justice can be trusted. Right. And I think this is going to play out very interestingly over the course of the trial and not particularly well so far. It has, it's not really been uh, getting a good reception. But, you know, both Cohen's lawyers and, and Trump's lawyers and Trump's lawyers don't want this the special master. They say only they only Trump can look at it first. Basically, a rule. The judge ruled yesterday. We're not doing that. But Cohen's Cohen's lawyers and the government are both going to be able to review this database. Well, let, let me ask you this. Isn't so Trump's lawyers were basically saying, like, we're just going to look and and if it's not legit, that's it. Like he like almost total power. But that's totally not like there's my understanding is there's no precedent for anybody in Trump's position doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that what kind of came out in the Yeah, essentially. In, in the and, hearing? and both yeah, this is what I was getting back to before with with the sort of arguments against the DOJ. Um both Cohen and Trump's attorneys are sort of saying, you know, these these guys are prosecuting, you know, Cohen. Like how can we trust them to fairly look through the documents? And they're not going to think how will they know what's privileged? We're sort of intimately involved in all these negotiations. We have a much better sense of it. Like and we're committing the crimes. We're, we're, the, we're the experts. How the, can you? The, <laughs> yeah. the richest thing in all of this is, you know, they're saying like, there's all these partisan attacks against the Justice Department, you know, like there's so much media attention, all this stuff. And, the, and you know, the assistant U.S. attorney, Tom McKay, yesterday was basically like, we haven't talked to the press. You guys are the only one who went out there and said we're un, un, you know, lawfully seizing your materials. And guess who's making all the uh, partisan attacks on the DOJ? Like 
the president himself. You know, it's just you can't say we're politicizing this and trying to drum up attention when you're actually doing that and then using it as an argument to get your way in court. That's not going to fly. So here's we're, we're as, as, as we can see, there's there's so much about Michael Cohen. It's hard to get into one episode. But one thing I want to ask you about, there was Michael Cohen uh, like a day or two after the raids gave a couple media interviews and there was one specifically on CNN and it was it was like Michael Cohen had a personality transplant right. since the raids on his on his uh, homes and 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 office he was like contrary to his lawyers like thanking the FBI great job guys i really <laughs> appreciate how that was handled and mm-hmm. and a very subdued like got to do what's best for my family like again like a different person now it seems it wasn't at the courthouse on Friday, but then, you know, on Friday we had that thing of him like, you know, out there with his cigars, with his pals. And we'll get this, we'll, we'll get to this separately, but his pals, there are all these other guys involved <laughs> in the Trump, in the Trump Russia story. What was, it seems like he's, he's got, you know, he was allowed to get his old personality back sometime. So from what you could see in the courthouse yesterday, affect, just what, what sense did you get? of kind of where he is is back to the old kind of like tough guy Michael Cohen or I w- not really clear I wouldn't say so I mean he we, he walked by you know the line of press waiting to get into the courtroom pretty stone-faced flanked by his lawyers Stephen Ryan uh, Todd Harrison are the main ones and just you know didn't say like you know a couple people called out to him one guy muttered like scumbag who was just a member of the public who was waiting to get <laughs> into the courtroom um, but you know he didn't no smiles, no jokes, no Just nothing. Kind of close and then to the vest. in the courtroom the entire time. I mean, he he didn't even turn around when Stormy Daniels walked in, whereas everyone else had their eyes glued to that uh, entrance. He, he just sort of sat there, straight at, like sitting straight ahead, very little. Just didn't so get we don't much really from know him. Exactly. Yeah, but he's he's, he's he not. He didn't seem like he was trying to like be his old combative self. Got it. I think Yahoo reported, I guess, at the end of the hearing after everyone was clearing out. Um, he went to look over at the courtroom uh, artist sketches of him and <laughs> to give them a little review. And he said, you know, like, I'm much better looking than that or something like that. So I guess, you know, I'll he's, he's got some humor. Some yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, give him that, give him that. So the, the the final thing is Michael Cohen has been in the news last seven or eight weeks in in because of the unfolding Stormy Daniels story. And over that period of time, he's had a few people pop up who are like, either his counselor or spokesman or lawyer, but they're all these like kind of Trump organization clown types, you know, lawyers, but like not like a lawyer you'd, you would retain if you had, if you were in a serious situation. So this Ryan guy from everything I've heard, this isn't some like bonehead from the Trump organization. This is like a serious, very respected criminal lawyer. Definitely. And he's the one who's been representing Cohen in the Mueller investigation and in the okay, congressional well, probe. So they, their relation, okay, their so legal... That's, that's not a relationship new relationship, bringing that while. person in. Yep. Okay. Um, so I hope we've given you a, a general sense of, again, the background of, of, of Michael Cohen um, before we got into all this stuff that's happened over the last week. The key points to remember are really Michael Cohen, even though he was born in the United States, grows up in this Ukraine, Russia, immigrant world um, out in the outer boroughs of New York. Um, Early in his adult life, gets into the business of being someone who brings money into the U.S. from abroad. And my sense has always been that 
his advantage is, again, he's a native-born uh, citizen. He doesn't speak with an accent. So he can be a public face of a lot of these businesses. That is how he comes, in, comes to the attention of Donald Trump. And that's why he comes into the organization. And he's been kind of the fixer and money guy for like a dozen, last dozen years or so, um, Donald Trump. Allegra, what's the last, what, what can we leave? You, you've, been, you've been on this story nonstop. What, 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 what can we, what's the parting thoughts as we, as we go forward into another uh, crazy Michael Cohen week? Yes, yeah, so the next uh, hearing isn't expected for at least two weeks, I believe. But I think I'm just going to be paying close attention to sort of Trump and Cohen's public comments on this in the next couple of days. And as you say, like, is he being pugnacious, Cohen? Is he being, I'm under serious criminal investigation, <laughs> Cohen? Uh, and and whether Trump sort of hurts or helps with his, you know, his tweets and his... And, and I guess the, the big question, whether he remains loyal to Trump or ends up... You know, deciding whether he wants to spend the rest of his I life. I don't think we'll find that out in the next couple weeks, but that, that is that is a big. That I is wonder. I wonder. Question. You know, that can that can focus people's attention. Anyway, I want to say again, uh, our sponsor for this episode of the Josh Marshall podcast is Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Remember, get twenty percent off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. Thanks, folks. We'll talk to you next week. See you next week. Thanks, Allegra. Thank you. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.